0: Book Three, Chapter Six, Part One of Lord of the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Teresa. Lord of the World by Robert U. Benson. Book Three, Chapter Six, Part One. The Syrian awoke from a dream that a myriad faces were looking into his own, eager, attentive, and horrible, in his corner of the rooftop and sat up sweating and gasping aloud for breath. For an instant he thought that he was really dying, and that the spiritual world was about him. Then, as he struggled, sense came back, and he stood up, drawing long breaths of the stifling night air. Above him the sky was as the pit, black and empty. There was not a glimmer of light, though the moon was surely up. He had seen her four hours before, a red sickle swing slowly out from the hayward. Across the plain, as he looked from the parapet, there was nothing. For a few yards there lay across the broken ground a single crooked lance of light from a half-closed shutter, and beneath that nothing. To the north again, nothing. To the west, a glimmer, pale as the moss wing. From the house roofs of Nazareth, to the east, nothing. He might be on a tower-top in space, except for that line of light, and that gray glimmer that evades the eye. On the roof, however, it was possible to make out at least outlines, for the dormer trap had been left open at the head of the stairs, and from somewhere within the depth of the house there stood up a faint refracted light. There was a white bundle in that corner. That would be the pillow of the Benedictine abbot. He had seen him lay himself down there some time. Was it four hours or four centuries ago? There was a gray shape stretched along that pale wall, the friar, he thought there were other irregular outlines breaking the face of the parapet here and there along the sides very softly for he knew the caprices of sleep he stepped across the paved roof to the opposite parapet and looked over for there yet hung about him a desire for reassurance that he was still in company with flesh and blood yes indeed he was still on earth for there was a real and distinct light burning among the tumbled rocks and beside it delicate as a miniature the head and shoulders of a man, writing. And in the circle of light were other figures, pale, broken patches on which men lay, a pole or two erected with the thought of a tent to follow, a little pile of luggage with a rug across it, and beyond the circle other outlines and shapes faded away into the stupendous blackness. Then the writing man moved his head, and a monstrous shadow fled across the ground. A yelp as of a strangling dog broke out suddenly close behind him, and as he turned, a moaning figure sat up on the roof, sobbing itself awake. Another moved at the sound, and then, as, sighing, the former relapsed heavily against the wall, once more the priest went back to his place, still doubtful as to the reality of all that he saw, and the breathless silence came down again as a pall. He woke again from dreamless sleep, and there was a change. From his corner, as he raised his heavy eyes, there met them what seemed an unbearable brightness then as he looked it resolved itself into a candle flame and beyond it a white sleeve and higher yet a white face and throat he understood and rose reeling it was the messenger come to fetch him as had been arranged as he passed across the space once he looked round him and it seemed that the dawn must have come for that appalling sky overhead was visible at last an enormous vault smoke-coloured and opaque seemed to curve away to the ghostly horizons on either side where the far-away hills, raised sharp shapes as if cut in paper. Carmel was before him, at least he thought it was that, a bullhead and shoulders thrusting itself forward and ending in an abrupt descent, and beyond that again the glimmering sky. There were no clouds, no outlines to break the huge, smooth, dusky dome beneath the center of which this house-roof seemed poised. Across the parapet, as he glanced to the right before descending the steps, stretched as Dreylon, stag-colored and somber, into the metallic distance. It was all as unreal as some fantastic picture by one who had never looked upon clear sunlight. The silence was complete and profound. Straight down through the wheeling shadows he went, following the white hooded head and figure down the stairs, along the tiny passage, stumbling once against the feet of one who slept with limbs tossed loose like a tired dog. The feet drew back mechanically, and the little moan broke from the shadows. Then he went on, passing the servant who stood aside, and entered. There were half a dozen men gathered here, silent, white figures, standing apart one from the other, who genuflected as the Pope came in, simultaneously through the opposite door, and again stood white-faced and attentive. He ran his eyes over them as he stopped, waiting behind his master's chair. There were two, he knew, remembering them from last night, dark-faced cardinal raspoli and the lean australian archbishop besides cardinal cochrane who stood by his chair at the popes own table with papers laid ready sylvester sat down and with a little gesture caused the others to sit too then he began at once in that quiet tired voice that his servant knew so well "Eminences, we are all here i think we need lose no more time then cardinal cochrane has something to communicate he turned a little. "'Father, sit down, if you please. This will occupy a little while.' The priest went across to the stone window seat, whence he could watch the Pope's face in the light of the two candles that now stood on the table between them and the cardinal secretary. Then the cardinal began, glancing up from his papers. "'Holiness, I had better begin a little way back. Their eminences have not heard the details properly.' I received at Damascus, on last Friday week, inquiries from various prelates in different parts of the world as to the actual measure concerning the new policy of persecution. At first I could tell them nothing positively, for it was not until after twenty o'clock that Cardinal Ruspoli in Turin informed me of the facts. Cardinal Malpez confirmed them a few minutes later, and the Cardinal Archbishop of Pekin, at twenty-three, before midday on Saturday I received final confirmation from my messengers in London. I was at first surprised that Cardinal Dolgorovsky did not communicate it, for almost simultaneously with the Turin message I received one from a priest of the order of Christ crucified in Moscow, to which, of course, I paid no attention. It is our role, eminences, to treat unauthorized communications in that way. His Holiness, however, bade me make inquiries, and I learned from Father Petrovsky and others that the government blackguards published the news at twenty o'clock by our time. It was curious, therefore, that the Cardinal had not seen it. If he had seen it, it was, of course, his duty to acquaint me immediately. Since that time, however, the following facts have come out. It is established beyond a doubt that Cardinal Dolgorolsky received a visitor in the course of the evening, his own chaplain, who your eminences are perhaps aware has been very active in Russia on behalf of the church, informs me of this privately. Yet the cardinal asserts an explanation of his silence that he was alone during those hours and had given orders that no one was to be admitted to his presence without urgent cause. This of course, confirmed his Holiness's opinion, but I received orders from him to act as if nothing had happened and to command the cardinal's presence here with the rest of the sacred college. To this, I received an intimation that he would be present yesterday, however, a little before midday, I received a further message that his eminency had met with a slight accident, but that he yet hoped to present himself in time for the deliberations. Since then, no further news has arrived. There was a dead silence. Then the pope turned to the Syrian priests, Father, he said, it was you who received his eminency's messages. Have you anything to add to this? No, Holiness. He turned again. My son, he said, report to us publicly what you have already reported to us in private. A small, bright eyed man moved out of the shadows. Holiness, it was I who conveyed the message to Cardinal Dolgorolsky. He refused at first to receive me. When I reached his presence and communicated the command, he was silent. Then he smiled. Then he told me to carry back the message that he would obey. Then suddenly the tall Australian stood up. Holiness, he said, I was once intimate with that man. It was partly through my means that he sought reception into the Catholic Church. This was not less than fourteen years ago, when the fortunes of the Church seemed about to prosper. Our friendly relations ceased two years ago, and I may say that, from what I know of him, I find no difficulty in believing as his voice shook with passion and he faltered sylvester raised his hand we desire no recriminations even the evidence is now useless for what was to be done has been done for ourselves we have no doubt as to its nature it was to this man that christ gave the morsel through our hands saying quod facis facitius cum ergo accepisit ille buchelum accivit continuo erat again fell the silence, and in the pause sounded a long, half-vocal sigh from without the door. It came and went, as the sleeper turned, for the passage was crowded with exhausted men, as a soul might sigh that passed from light to darkness. Then Sylvester spoke again, and as he spoke he began, as if mechanically, to tear up a long paper written with lists of names that lay before him. Eminences, it is three hours after dawn, in two hours more we shall say mass in your presence and give holy communion during those two hours we commission you to communicate this news to all who are assembled here and further we bestow on each and all of you jurisdiction apart from all previous rules of time and place we give a plenary indulgence to all who confess and communicate this day father he turned to the syrian father you will now expose the blessed sacrament in the chapel after which you will proceed to the village and inform the inhabitants that if they wish to save their lives, they had best be gone immediately. Immediately, you understand. The Syrian started from his daze. Holiness, he stammered, stretching out a hand. The lists, the lists. He had seen what these were. But Sylvester only smiled as he tossed the fragments on the table. Then he stood up. You need not trouble, my son. We shall not need these any more. One last word, eminences. If there is one heart here that doubts or is afraid, I have a word to say. He paused with an extraordinarily simple deliberateness, ran the eyes round the tense faces turned to him. I have had a vision of God, he said softly. I walk no more by faith, but by sight. End of Book 3, Chapter 6, Part 1